behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee saw it, he spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him, for she is a sinner. understand why they called it the Magdalene Home Laundry because Mary Magdalene when our Lord walked this world like it's pathetic really when you look into religion and it's no wonder that the youth are, are doubting asking and bewildered in this world today because when you look at it like Mary Magdalene was the biggest supposingly to be the biggest prostitute that ever walked this world when our Lord walked it yet she wiped, washed the feet of Jesus and he forgave her but those girls weren't prostitutes. They didn't know anything about prostitution. They didn't know anything about their own bodies. They had no knowledge of it. Now, a couple of them had babies, got help this like, but they didn't know what happened to them. It was all through innocence, do you know what I mean? And they were locked up for that. And they were never let out, like. They were never let out of that Magdalene laundry. I look on it with tremendous sadness. You know, the lack of understanding that was there all around, really. You know, that our belief systems, you know, believing that because somebody did something that wasn't right in somebody else's eyes, that they were locked up. Dear Ellen, I see where you're looking for some information about the Magdalene Laundry. I was in the Magdalene Laundry for a good many years and I live out in the country now, but I never will forget it to my dying day. The cruelty we got, slaved like blacks. Some of the girls were dragged by the hair of their heads and more their hair was cut off simply if they gave the least back answer or were too slow at their work. A letter with no name and no address. It was written last summer in response to a newspaper advertisement. For nearly 100 years, single women who became pregnant, women who weren't wanted, were banished by their families to the Mary Magdalene Home Laundry in Galway City. It was one of many institutions in Ireland. Their detention was legally dubious. Some women spent the rest of their lives there. This year, a play and a song brought the memory back in Galway. Anna Mae Gill worked in the Magdalene Laundry 30 years ago when she was 19. They had no one standing beside them. And I mean, I worked with those lovely girls and the sorrow in their face, like, and the bewilderment. It was cruel. And we were locking doors, like, we were paid staff. And every door you went through, you had to lock it behind you. Do you know what I mean? I used to think, like, God, I'll never stick this place, you know, because it had an awful effect on me. But um, I loved them, and they were so kind and so innocent, like, and the beauty of them, the creatures. And I was always kind and good to them, 
you know, and Ina McEntee was as well, you know. And we shared our life with them. We didn't treat them any different than Ina and I treated one another. And we got tea now on trays, you know, at uh, whatever time the break was, you know. And any girl that I worked with, a Magdalene girl, I won't call them Maggie's because I hate that word, uh, I gave it to her. I didn't want it. So I tried to share part of my life with her. And I watched for the nuns coming down, you see, because if they caught her, she was in deep trouble, you know. And she'd be shaking like, and I'd say, eat that now, Lorraine, because I don't want it. You eat, because the good girl, you eat it, and I'll watch for you. And I watched, like, while that little girl drank the cup of tea and eat whatever biscuit or whatever be on the tray. I didn't want it anyway, because I had a home in Bormore, my mother and father, and my, I had lovely brothers and sisters. I had a wonderful home, you know. As I said, like, down the back, I'd help someone we'd be sorting the laundry. Now you'd send in laundry, you know. And the book would come in with what you sent in and I'd have to check off the list and she'd be down on her knees, like, checking out the laundry, like, you know. And this went on repeatedly for hours. Up where the slip was something dreadful. Up uh, over the laundry, you know. There was beds all up on top of one another. I say about 60, 70 beds in this long dormitory. And you look out a window and all you seen was barbed wire and railings. There was no way you could get, they could get out anyway. They were locked in at night when they went to bed. When I was a child, our house backed onto the Magdalen grounds. Their fields, there was about 23 acres of ground at the back of our house. We had a pub. And um, I seem to remember looking back, I feel like I spent most of my childhood down that field playing. All the children of the street played down there. And... Um, the Magdalen laundry was way off down in the r- extreme right-hand corner of the field. And I um, I really had no idea what the Magdalen was about. I had an idea that maybe it might have been um, a school of some sort because I was aware of all the ladies that lived in there. Um... I never actually would go near that place because uh, there was something in me that um, knew that it was out of bounds. But um, I had absolutely no idea, really, of what the Magdalene was about. You got a small bag of sugar for the week and if you gave any trouble at all, it would be stopped. And also, your tea in the evening. Margarine we always got, except at Christmas. We might get a bit of butter. We got a bar of soap and a half a crown at Christmas. We often stole up to the back kitchen of the convent to eat out of the bucket. There was one lovely old lady in it now and she was beautiful. I always remember she was over 60 years and she had lovely white hair with a bun. And she said to me one day, Miss, I said, what's on you loving? I cannot remember all their names now. I knew some of them, their names when I was up there. I said, what's wrong with you loving? She said, I'd love to die, Miss. I said, why would you like to die loving? I said, everyone wants to live, even though I said, I know you haven't much to live for in here. But she said, I know when I die that I'll be judged rightly in the next world because I was done wrongly in this one 
Now, seemingly she lived in the country and she was at a dance one night and she went with this fella. They lost their way home and they didn't get home until about two o'clock in the morning. Well, her name was gone that time. I mean, she was a bad woman. You know, that time, like, crazy. And, I mean, she was locked up for that. She was put into the Magdalene. I mean, you were automatically bad if you were with a man X amount of hours in the morning. They wouldn't think that you were doing anything right, but they think you were doing everything wrong. But God knew that she'd done no wrong. And that was it. She just wanted to die. Richard Hackett worked in the laundry in the late 1960s. His memories of the Magdalene are echoed in Mary Coughlin's song. For 17 years I've been scrubbing this washboard Ever since the fella started in after me My mother, poor soul, didn't know what to do The canon said, child, there's a place for you Now I'm serving my time at the Magdalene laundry Towing the line at the Magdalene Laundry. We weren't allowed to touch the nuns, the laundry. That was done by hand by the women themselves. The in wash basins. Why didn't like men handling them? It was a taboo. <laughs> we were just told that this, we never got in contact with it. That was, I'll put it that way too. But all the, all the, Women would be lined up, and there was a, a row of washing basins along one side of the wash house. I suppose they were about um, two foot deep, uh, and maybe two and a half foot wide. And the the girls there used to wash. There'd be a row of them, maybe ten of them, and they'd be washing all the clergy stuff, which by hand and washboards. Magdalene Laundry, Galway. Um, it's now demolished. It was demolished last year and instead we have new townhouses built by a local construction company. Um, it's beautified now. Patricia Burke Brogan wrote a play about the Magdalene Laundry called Eclipsed. It's been performed by the Punchbag Theatre Company. The production has had a big effect on audiences in Galway. 
In the year the play was set, 1963, Patricia Brogan was a novice in the Mercy Order. Well, the first day I walked in, I, I was brought down a long corridor, a long brown corridor, I'm dealing colours, a long brown, dark brown corridor, and a door was, first of all, a door was unlocked, and then I was brought along the corridor, and then another door was unlocked, and each time the door was locked after me. This is what I found strange. So I was imprisoned as well. And there was a room full of women. It was a Sunday afternoon, just as this is, and these women were crowded into a room and they were smoking and there was a smell of stale perfume and cigarette smoke mixed up together. And it was the look in their eyes, really, this sort of trapped look. And their families signed them in. This is what I find so dreadful about it, that first of all, they were betrayed by their lovers, uh, their men friends, uh, who didn't support them in the pregnancy. Then the families, their brothers or sisters or parents, signed them in to this place. And they were there, some of them, for the rest of their lives. I believe even... Forever uh, and ever. Yes. In fact, so many people didn't know what was going on. And only through this play they discovered that that's actually what went on. Mm. You didn't yeah. know. God, I was oblivious. I didn't know. I used to live across the road from these women kind of thing. And I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. And for a lot of um, tourists who have come in, like there's been a lot your of foreigners in the last nice ah, people just that I've met that have seen the play, and they've just been amazed that these no, actual that man. these actually What's existed. It's yeah. so, for, you know, for people Same in Galway, it's kind of fairly close, or mm-hmm. people in Ireland close to the bone. But for people from different countries, it's so far out of their yeah. culture and spectrum that it's like nobody give me my letter. that it's actually a true story. He'd be finished with you. Finished forever and ever. Nobody, no address. Elvis will find me. Elvis finds his man. Sure, nobody wants you. Nobody wants any of us. Sunday afternoon while the Lord's at rest. It's off to the prom, watch the waves roll by. We're chewing on our toffees, hear the seagulls squawk. There go the Maggies, the children talk To our faces they stare at the Magdalene laundry In our eyes see the glare of the Magdalene laundry I thought I had a vocation to work for the poor and um, then I decided I wasn't working for the poor. Why not? Go on. <laughs> well, I felt the women weren't being paid and I felt that the church had a lot of riches. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1992. <laughs> and I really was critical of the institution. Uh, so, uh, I suppose I, I did have a vocation to work for the poor because I continue to try to feel something for them. I'm not rich or anything, but uh, when I, later when I taught, I, I picked places and children who needed a bit of extra attention tried to do that. And it 
came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And a certain woman, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, called Mary Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others, who ministered unto him of their substance. And he spoke by a parable. One of the Maggies came down one day, one of the Magdalene girls, excuse me, I don't like calling them that, and she wanted to get a drink of water. Simple thing, a drink of water. And I said, uh, what do you want the water for, loving for yourself, is it? And she said, no, I want to go upstairs, miss, uh, whatever her name was, was up in the bed, dying. And I said, I'll get the drink of water for you. And um, another one that worked there said to me, if you go up that stairs, you're going to get into trouble. I said, I don't care. I said, about getting into trouble. I'm going up the stairs, I said, to give a drink of water to a human being that's sick. And I went up the stairs with the Magdalene girl, and when I seen this place of all the beds and the place of chamber of horrors, I would call it, and this little soul in the bed, and she moaning, and I went over to her. I mean, I was only 19 years of age, for God's sake, you know. And... I, I knelt down like in the way we were there, there you go again, the way we were reared and taught. I said the act of contrition into her ear. She didn't need an act of contrition. Her whole life was an act of contrition. But I said it and I wish she wasn't able to take the drink. And I wet her little lips with the water and she died holding my hand. Just there and then she died. And the other girls started crying. And I said, she's gone to heaven now, I said. This world will never hurt her anymore. And I was glad that she died. And I was only 19 years of age. But I was happy. She was released out of that place. Even though it was true, death was a sad way to go, like, because she hadn't lived anyway. We had terrible clothes calico chemises and bloomers as hard as hell. A lot of young girls were in there for no reason at all. The nuns were cruel and so were the priests and Bishop Brown, R.I.P., wouldn't do a bit. Some of them would jump over the wall and they would be brought back again. We would let one another out sometimes in the laundry hamper. I ran out myself and a few more girls. I was very young and I remember the huge excitement around that's what my feeling on it looking back on one of the girls getting running through our place and the reason I suppose she would have picked our place because it was a pub and the front you know the door would have been open there would have been access out onto the street but she uh, came up through our garden and she hid in we had an old barn at the back of the pub and she hid in the loft and um, my parents were aware of her being there and uh, I just you know listening to stories afterwards you know my memories now would be very vague on that that uh, my sister was saying that my father helped her 
you know, that he he um, hit her in the loft. And the thing was with my, my dad, he was a God-fearing man, you know, he was, I mean, there was nobody more respectful of the law and the church, but yet, probably in some way, he knew that this girl deserved her freedom. And he, um, the guards, it seems, actually came around looking for her, and they came to our place. And what my sister said was that they didn't really look that hard, you know, because the obvious place would have been to try the loft. Earlier in the century, escape from the Magdalen Laundry was rarely, if ever, successful. But then came Vatican II, later rules on working conditions from Brussels, and changing attitudes outside and inside the Mercy Order. Anna Mae Gill helped three escape. I was going with my husband at the time, and um, I worked with uh, them until about 8 o'clock. I finished at 8 half past seven, eight o'clock, I went up home, had my tea, got ready, went out on the date and came back and the three of them was in the small room in the bed. And my parents was in the middle of the floor and they didn't know whether the girls were coming or who was coming and they were frightened and but you see I had give the three that I left room a, a name and address. And uh, the day I let them run, I opened this mountain of a door, it was about that thick, to get out and uh, I had them lined up there and I let them run. One of them got a nosebleed and I always remember a man's pair of shirts and I just handed it into her hand and I said, put it up in your face. Now I said, when you go, stay off the road and I said, keep going. And I was delighted and I let them off. Three of them I gave their life to and that night when I came in from the pictures, they were in the bedroom, <laughs> two at the top and one at the bottom and they said, hello, miss. I said, oh, God. And I said, hello, girls. What happened to you? We got tired, mister said. We got tired running. We had nowhere to go. So I said, it's all right. It's all right. You'd be fine. Take it easy. So we made tea and we gave it to them. And they were crying and they were upset and they were frightened that I'd send them back. And you won't send us back, miss. I said, no, loving, I won't send you back. No way. We get jobs for you, which we did, my father and I. They did get jobs. Later, she heard the two of them had got married. But Anna May never sought any contact with them since. Because I've seen them over the years, you know. Clothes and shoes, hairdos. What an ordinary human being deserves in this life. They had it. And I had the wonderful privilege of looking at them. Now, I would actually cross the road when I'd see them. Because I didn't want them to think, well, oh God, will she tell on me? Or that f- I didn't want to put that fear into them, you know, or anything like that. And I, I just look at them and I say, isn't that wonderful? Thank God she got a second chance at her life. And I gave it to her. It was a great privilege for me to do that. On the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene early, when it was still dark, onto the sepulchre and saw the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre and we know not where they have laid him. Seamus Rutledge doesn't know who his mother is except that when he was born She was an outcast person, a sinner. 
He knows that she gave him up shortly after he was born. She was sent to an institution. Perhaps the Magdalen home in Galway. Perhaps another one. Documents are his starting point for discovering the past. His birth certificate shows that the name his mother gave him was Joseph, not Seamus. The child who would have been me from Mary McAvoy was also stained by the same thing because I know that from the ideas that the adoptive parents put through to me. Um, my mother would have been compared to the whores and Liverpool docks. And I can only judge from what was deep within myself and I would imagine she's a very loving and kind person. And I'm sure she's bitter too. I'm sure her life has not been the same since 1957, since the 26th of November 1957. And whoever she eventually married, or if she did marry, who eventually, whatever eventually became her family, she's not going to be the same as she was before. And I can understand that, and I want to understand more and more before I meet her, because I do not want to appear like a ghost from her past. I want to appear as her, her son, a son that loves her, and that still hasn't met her, but that day will come. Seamus has written a story about his situation. It's a child's story. Joseph left his friends and his red pimple ball inside the high walls. The steel one on top of the other beds housed his peaceful moments inside the pale blue crimpled blanket. The high walls housed his soul and his dreams in their intimidating security. One girl, uh, Annie was her name, Anne. I can't remember her second name now. She had a sister in England and she was always talking about her. And it was a boy actually, a son that she had. And she was a very withdrawn person. But I'm kind of a person, I love talking to people. And I love, I love helping people, if I can at all, you know. And I used to talk to her, and I used to say, well, please God, Annie, you know, you'll probably see him someday. And she said, how do I know him? How do I know him? Well, I said, you could go back to the school, like, and ask, like, which one is he, you know, and that. And she said, if I could only get out of here, you know, my sister's in England, some part of London, how she was at the time, that she would go over. But you see, the problem was the money again for the train to get out of Galway. Do you know what I mean? She never went? She did. She did. Because um, Ina McEntee helped her. Mrs McEntee. She was a lady. Oh, Ina was kind. Just the way she treated them, you know. And she was, actually, she kept them in her own home as well, you know. And uh, her husband helped them as well. They got, they got the tree in Northern Moor, the tree that, that she let out. It started going then after that, you see. It was coming into times when there was people asking questions and that, you know. The Magdalen Laundry in Galway declined as a business during the 1980s. The building was demolished in 1990. Ten elderly ex-penitents still live in a house in the convent grounds. They refuse to be interviewed. A number of people who know of other ex-penitents refuse to identify them. But a short distance from the site of the Magdalen, one of its last inmates, 
lives in a small cottage by herself. Her reluctance to speak tells its own story. I'm trying to make a program for promoting laundry. Ah, no, I don't interest that. No? No, 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 no. It's very poor, don't Yeah. Were you in there at all? Eh? Uh, I was. Uh, uh, have, you, have you any kind of memories of it? Ah, uh, no, no, no. Would you not talk to me about it? Eh? Would you not talk to me about it? That's a good point, though. Yeah. Oh, the nuns yeah. okay, were they? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's very cold, don't It's just cold. It's very cold. No. And why were you sent there? I don't say. I won't. So you don't want to talk about those days? Eh? You don't want to talk about those days? No, no, no. No, it's all right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, bye. I'll see you. There's a lot of fear, I think, in people about it. You know, that I don't, I can't fully understand that in myself there is I, I mean I've thought about talking to you about it and I have experienced that fear in myself as well about talking to you there's one part of me and yet there's the other part of me that um, feels that it's in the only way that we can uh, heal this is to look at it Now when Jesus had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that she had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, believed not. There is a big grave at the back of the Magdalene, but there is no names and there are more buried in the new cemetery and there are no names, R.I.P. We don't know because we wouldn't be let outside the door. All our young lives were lost when you see today what's happening and there is no cruelty. I hope you get more information. I cannot give my name, but I don't know what sort of nuns were out that time and they called themselves Mercy. But now she called Joseph a different name. The witch said that Joseph was a pretend name, that Seamus was his proper name. What was a mammy and daddy anyway? And who were these people that the witch was taking him to? Joseph did not know. He had never seen the witch before, and he was afraid of her. He dared not ask a question. He kind of believed the witch, but he knew he would never like her. Exactly this mammy and daddy they are just so as institutionalized in I don't see any point. I really don't. It doesn't, for me, it doesn't achieve anything. I mean, it's still, it's as if you're still locked in it, you know. I mean, that's not about healing. What blame isn't about healing. You know, it's about understanding the whole thing. That's what it is for me, to understand what happened. You know, understand all sides of it.